Welcome to Radio Free Rabbi with Rabbi Joshua Aronson of Temple Judea in Tarzana, California. Well, spring is in the air, but noticeably absent from spring is baseball and sports. We missed the NCAA tournament. We're missing basketball season. We're missing, for those of you who are hockey fans, we're missing hockey season and the end of hockey season. And of course, for some of us, uh, in all of that, uh, notable is we're missing baseball. And there's probably few other things we associate with baseball more than we associate um, spring. And who doesn't enjoy heading out to the park on a wonderful spring day and listening to the crack of the bat and this satisfying sound of the ball falling into the mitt, uh, really a wonderful memory from people's childhood, if you're like me and like so many of you, and also just a great thing to do here in Los Angeles. It is just a wonderful moment to be able to go to Dodger Stadium and see the iconic view beyond the center field wall of LA and the palm trees and in the evening as the sun sets. It's just just wonderful. Something we all want to do, something we all look forward to. And we're missing that. So it got me to thinking about all kinds of wonderful things, including, you know, what is the most Jewish of all sports? I think when when we Jews think of sports, what do we typically think about? What do we typically kind of uh, understand as sports? And then if we can narrow down what is really kind of the most Jewish of all sports, we'd want to then kind of get into the, well, who is the best player in that sport? And uh, in order to uh, help me out here, um, I'm going to take a page out of the book of Mike Golick Sr., who in a shameless show of nepotism, uh, got his son involved in his own show. And um, that seems to actually be working out fairly well for them. And I thought, well, what the heck? Um, I'm not above a little shameless nepotism. So I'd like to introduce my first guest ever on Radio Free Rabbi, uh, my son, Harry Aronson. Harry, uh, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here and to be uh, put in the same company as Mike Golick Jr., at least by analogy. Harry, for those of you who don't know, is a graduate of Indiana University, and he has, uh, in addition to his Jewish studies degree, he has a relevant degree for talking about some sports and statistics in sports. He has a certificate in applied research and inquiry at the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. He also works as a research specialist in the Cohen Center for Modern Jewish Studies at Brandeis University. Um... And interesting, I don't know, Harry, if you're aware of this, but um, the founder of the Brandeis University Athletic Department, do you know who that was by any chance? I do not. Benny Friedman, who was a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, went to the University of Michigan and um, had a pretty good career with the New York Giants. I think he also played for the Cleveland Browns, if I'm not mistaken. Doesn't quite have the cachet and statistics that Sid Luckman has, but he was a pretty darn good player in his own right, and he was eventually recruited by the then nascent Brandeis University and uh, helped build up their athletic department. I think he was their first athletic director. You can kind of check that, but 
it would kind of make sense. So, Harry, welcome to the show. And um, let's first tackle the issue of, you know, what do you really think is the most Jewish of sports? And, um, you know, actually, I did a little bit of research into this. I don't know if you've had a chance to check this out. There are a shockingly large number of Jewish players who play cricket. Yeah, I did come across that as well in my initial look, which I was a little surprised about, but I think raises one of the key initial questions when talking about what the most Jewish sport is or most significant sport to Jews, which is, are we talking about American Jewish importance? Are we talking about global Jewish community? Because while cricket isn't the most popular sport in the U.S., uh, as I came to discover, it was very popular for some Jews around the world. Well, I, that's a good question. So um, uh, in, in areas, you know, obviously in uh, Australia and in uh, South Africa, two huge cricketing powers, um, and in England, uh, American football and American baseball and uh, are not really that big. Um, Australia has a fairly robust basketball program. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we probably have to narrow it down to, you know, at the very least, Israel and the United States of America, and you know, kind of North America, but the United States of America. So um, cricket, as wonderful a sport as it is, and uh, when we lived in Australia, I really got a chance to see how great it was, uh, probably isn't on the horizon of most of the people who are listening to this podcast. So we probably want to stick to the kind of big four. There's certainly always been a lot of Jews. In, there are a lot of Jews in soccer. Um, and um, one of the most famous soccer teams in the world, the Manchester United, is owned by a Jewish family, the Glazer family. Mm-hmm. But I think we kind of have to stick to the big four in the United States and kind of go from there. Um, so given that, any thoughts? Well, um, before we move to that, I would also just say that um, in addition to the big four, I think that beyond cricket, um, gymnastics and tennis are both fairly popular, especially in Eastern, there's a lot of Eastern European Jewish gymnasts from over the years, and obviously in uh, Israel as well, um, which I wouldn't have necessarily initially thought of. Um, And there's also a few historical um, Jewish tennis players, as well as um, even contemporary tennis players, Diego Schwartzman from Argentina, who is currently a tennis player, is Jewish, and uh, some of the more Famous Jewish tennis players include um, Adura Cohen, I think also um, Tom Oker, who is from Dutch, uh, who's a, of Dutch descent, is, uh, was a very famous uh, player back in the 60s and 70s. So there's a few other sports, too, that are uh, interesting to consider. Now, in the context of the kind of major American sports, I think one of the obvious ones that comes to mind, of course, is baseball which we can talk more about. But I also think there's interesting cases for football. Of course, you raised uh, initially the Brandeis connection that uh, exists, and there's a few others. And also uh, in the early phases of basketball, especially after the NBA-ABA merger, uh, there were a lot of influential Jews, not just uh, as players, but also coaches and in management. And of course, uh, perhaps most influentially, as commissioner, both David Stern and Adam Silver. Um, so there's a large Jewish presence in basketball, uh, certainly, I think. I think that's a great point. If you look at, um, you know, I typically, just to go back to what you were saying, 
I, I think we, although there are a lot of Jews who play tennis recreationally, and although there are some well-known Jewish tennis players, I think we initially kind of considered tennis along with golf as maybe something not Jewish because tennis clubs and golf clubs historically did not allow Jews into them right away. So I don't think that that pops into our mind as kind of the quintessential Jewish kind of thing. You know, there had to become Jewish tennis clubs and Jewish golf clubs around the country that really allowed Jews to play. So whereas if you look at basketball, I think you're right. From the get-go, basketball had pretty heavy involvement with Jews. If you go into uh, Red Auerbach and you go into, like you mentioned, Larry Brown, there were quite a few Jewish owners. Of course, the Harlem Globetrotters were, you know, established really by Jewish ownership. And they're one of the most well-known ambassadors for basketball anywhere. There's a list of Jewish basketball players. It's not exactly the, the the, the NBA Hall of Fame of basketball players. But there certainly are some. And as I mentioned, there is one Jewish basketball player who actually was bar mitzvah at Temple Judea, and that's Jordan Farmer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, Jordan Farmer uh, grew up at Temple Judea, went to religious school at Temple Judea, and went on to have an MBA career. So uh, that, of course, is is interesting. But basketball would – I think, you know, David Stern, obviously Jewish – is really responsible for the creation of basketball as we know it in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Certainly hugely influential at a few pivotal moments in the NBA, as I think um, with his passing, we saw with many, many players and analysts and uh, contributors kind of coming out with important stories about all of the crucial roles that he played. Um, and I found that fascinating to see and also fascinating to get a little bit of insight into um, one of the key uh, questions that I think that this topic raises, which is really that just as sports can kind of mirror um, a lot of things going on in society, as well as trends and changes in popularity, I think that also is the case with uh, Jewish sports and what is most popular, you know, in terms of Jewish culture. So as we've seen, you know, basketball, football, um, surge in popularity, especially football, obviously rising to sort of unparalleled heights in terms of viewership. I think the importance of those things to Jews that aren't necessarily the athletes in the field, but as you know, part of Jewish culture has been going to basketball games, going to football games, being part of, of fandom, so on and so forth. I think that is an excellent point that is no doubt reflective of your uh, understanding of Jewish history. You know, one of the things that really made Jews feel at home in America, ironically, was the fact that Jews have fought in every war in America since the Revolutionary War. Um, Even in the Civil War, there were Jews on both sides. And I think one of the things that has allowed Jews to embrace the sports of football, basketball, and baseball, leaving hockey to the side for the minute, is that it kind of had a low threshold of entry for both players and certainly Jewish players, although not the case with African-American players. But in terms of fans, it had a very low barrier of entry. And, you know, any kid with a nickel in his pocket could go to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game. And the participation of Jews in those sports from ownership to playing to fandom, I think has allowed Jews to find a kind of equalizing entree into American society that was not available to them really in tennis or golf for a long time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. There was 
a lot less of a kind of gatekeeping, both in terms of economically with needing to join country clubs and socially with um, who was allowed to join. Um, and I think that um, in the you know early 20th century with baseball being so central to kind of American culture and pastime, um, Jews, uh, like many ethnic groups, sought to um, increase their kind of Americanness by investing in baseball and, um, you know, investing sort of emotionally and as fans. And uh, the same thing is often true of basketball and football today. I think that's true. And I, I look, I think if you, if you, in the end, if you ask a hundred, a hundred Jews, maybe not so many, a hundred Jews who are your age in Toto, but a demographically representative uh, number of Jew of a hundred Jews, uh, what is the most Jewish of sports? It's hard to imagine that baseball would not pop to the top. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a strong argument for that. Um, and I guess, again, I think that it's one of the most it's one of the most Jewish when you're talking about um, famous players, both historically, also today, Ryan Braun, Alex Bregman. Um, there are a lot of famous Jewish participants um, and sort of like we were saying, a lot of the Jewish involvement in some of the other sports contemporarily is um, not necessarily on the floor or on the field. Um, I think probably in basketball it would be Sue Bird in the WNBA. Uh, I'm not sure even who it would be in football. Um, so I think that you're probably right. Um, but I also think that, uh, it depends. We have a lot of Jewish football owners. True. Very true ownership. So, but outside of like, in terms of the players or the athletes, um, which is why I think it's sort of a question of how you consider, you know, is it about the amount of Jews who are watching those sports, then I think it would be mostly demographics, you know, how old are they? Um, or is it about like the essence of the sport and its role in Jewish history, which one rises to the top? And I think baseball has a very strong case. Certainly. I think the other, the thing that uh, ultimately, you know, a little bit gives baseball the nod, although not so different from football in this regard, but is the fact that, you know, initially baseball started in cities where there were heavy, heavy uh, Jewish populations. Certainly all the Northeast cities, um, including Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Washington for a long time, you know, but also places like Pittsburgh and Detroit and Cleveland, which, which had thriving, vibrant, wealthy Jewish communities. Um, and in fact, the first owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates was a Jewish guy, Barney Dreyfus. So um, he, he played a pretty significant role for a lot of different reasons in, uh, in baseball, one of which was he built the first kind of concrete and steel baseball stadium in Forbes Field. I think for all of those reasons, probably we give the nod to baseball. Um, also, of course, football was not the powerhouse. You know, for most people growing up into the even late 60s uh, until the Super Bowls came to be. Football was important and it was, it was big, but it was, not, of course, not nearly as big as baseball for a long time. So that probably in and of itself might historically give the nod to baseball 
So if we, if we agree, at least hypothetically, for purposes of uh, Radio Free Rabbi podcast, why that, that baseball is kind of the most Jewish of sports, then we get into the really crucial question, which is, you know, who is the greatest Jewish baseball player ever? And uh, that's going to be something that people are going to debate and debate and debate for a long time. But who 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 are the leading partic- Who are the leading candidates for that title? Well, in my opinion, it's really a uh, sort of a two-person contest between Sandy Koufax and Hank Greenberg. However, there are uh, potentially a few other candidates that would maybe be on the um, all-time Jewish baseball team if we were to field one. Certainly would be, uh, would be some uh, significant um, people on the, uh, the best Jewish baseball team. Who, who might we, uh, we pop in there uh, if we're going to have a little discussion of that? So I think that uh, you've how you got to start, of course, with Koufax and Greenberg. I'm assuming you agree with me there. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, who do you think the top few are? Well, you probably have to go with Ian Kinsler. Um, Lou Boudreau yeah. uh, is a little underrated, but he probably is the best um, shortstop of uh, Jewish heritage that there ever was. There's another guy who sometimes competes for the title, Buddy Meyer. Um, but nonetheless, probably he would have to get it. You have Al Rosen. You have, of course, you have Ryan Ron. Right. Um, Sean Green. Um, you know, obviously. Probably we uh, Sid Gordon might be the other outfielder. Yeah, uh, I would say for sure. Maybe. Um, I, I think sometimes you see like uh, George Stone get thrown out as well. But um, – I think Ryan Braun, you know, one of the only, maybe one of the only other modern players, current players to get on the list. I don't know that I can think of any others necessarily. I mean, it depends on what you call modern players. You have Steve Yeager. Or, or let's say, let's say current active players. I think current Ryan. active players. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Braun would certainly have to yeah. be. Well, Alex Bregman. Um, yeah, for third base could be. Um, yeah. Maybe, and then there's Harry the Horse. Harry Danny. Harry Danny, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he could certainly be it. Yeah, um, but I, I think, look, I, I don't think anybody's going to probably argue with Hank Greenberg versus Sandy Koufax as the two, you know, the, the two real leaders among that. The reality is, Hank Greenberg probably has a serious case to make for for among the best first baseman of all time, let alone just the best Jewish first baseman. And in terms of hitting, obviously, it goes without saying that Hank Greenberg is going to be the best Jewish hitter, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think that that's clear. Um, and I, I do think, you know, he's, he's, I think he's a candidate who is mentioned in as a sort of like peripheral, certain, like honorable mention in most cases for first base discussion, but I'm not sure he's a someone who's a, a thick of the weeds sort of starting team all-time player necessarily. Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, other people who would be um, uh, well up for that. And then of course you get Sandy Koufax and they both actually played about the same number of years in the majors. I actually checked that. I think Sandy Koufax played 11 years or 12 years and 
Uh, Hank Greenberg played 12 or 13 years. I, I think they, they were pretty close in terms of the, the actual number of um, uh, years that they played in the majors. I don't know uh, if you have that information, but certainly um, uh, that, that would be the case. So what other, are you going to make? Other, Go ahead. The other wrinkle, of course, is that uh, Hank Greenberg took three years off in the middle of his career to fight during World War II. That's a good point. I mean, that's a, a, a an excellent point. Um, I think that that affects both the, just in terms of context for the, his whole career, and it was right in the middle of his career. So in terms of projections of his kind of career numbers, it's something that um, – a lot of analysts who know a whole lot more than me have spent a long time talking and debating about how you could project for people, players who lost some of their uh, prime years uh, to the, to the war. Um, and so that's something I think also to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, um, I just looked up his lifetime record and um, 1941 was the last year he played before the war. And um, he uh, interestingly had an off season. It would played. Uh, he was his batting average was two sixty nine when he his first year back was nineteen forty five after the war, and he had a pretty pretty good season, although not as good as some of his best seasons. But he had a three eleven batting average and a nine forty eight OPS. Um, so not not bad to come back, but certainly those last three years were not as good as the meat of his career where he was really batting over 400, uh, you know, on a regular basis uh, or clo- excuse me, batting over 300 on a regular basis. Um, so uh, yeah, you really have to have to kind of look at that and the other, well, so Sandy Koufax though, if you want to go to, to Sandy Koufax and, and take a look at his statistics, what do you think gives Sandy Koufax the edge over Hank Greenberg? So um, I've got some of their stats here, and uh, I can go through those and lay them out side by side because I think it's interesting for comparison. Go for um, it. So I'll, I'll run through the numbers. Um, so hey, uh, these numbers are uh, courtesy of Baseball Reference, um, and they're pretty consistent across other sites with the exception of War, which we can get into wins above replacement. Um, there's a few different sites that have different ways of calculating War. So it's worth noting that that's somewhat subject to debate. Um, but Hank Greenberg's for his career, uh, he's got a war of 55.7. His uh, basic slash line was 313, 412, 605. He hit 331 home runs, and he had 1,628 hits. Uh, he led the league in home runs four times, RBIs four times, uh, on base percentage once and slugging percentage once, both of which he's um, the sixth all-time. And he was a five-time All-Star, two-time AL MVP, and, of course, a Hall of Famer. And then Koufax, we have uh, 48.9 wins above replacement from baseball reference, a career ERA of 276, uh, a whip of 1,100, he uh, had a he led the league in ERA five times, wins three times, um, win loss percentage twice, uh, strikeouts four times, complete games twice, uh, shutouts three times. He was a seven-time All Star, a one-time MVP, a three-time Cy Young winner, a World Series MVP, and also a Hall of Famer. Um, 
So both, you know, robust all-time, top 100 all-time baseball players, I think, undeniably. Um, and hugely, hugely important figures in baseball in general. And, of course, in the Jewish history of baseball. I think that... Um, there's a lot to debate about the specific statistics, and there are many more you could cite. You could take issue with some of these. But I think that the one thing that all of that leaves out as well is the fair or not, I think the player who, if you walked up to a standard, you know, a, just your average Jew who maybe is not, does or does not follow baseball and ask them, who is the most significant baseball player of all time that's Jewish? The answer would be Sandy Koufax, the sort of like uh, street pole winner, so to speak, if, if I had to suspect, um, I don't know, maybe you disagree with that, but I think that also, you think that's matters. because of his, uh, Yom Kippur, uh, not playing stance. Well, I certainly think the stance of not playing during Yom Kippur is, uh, one of the bigger sports mythologies and kind of narratives that Jewish children learn around Yom Kippur, especially as they're growing up and, facing decisions about whether or not they're going to participate in sports on certain holidays and things like that. I think almost every Jewish kid I know uh, heard that story at some point growing up. And it's actually interesting because as I was reading more about that, I did learn that uh, Hank Greenberg also abstained from an important game because it fell on Yom Kippur. But interestingly, um, the, the clinching game that he played a few weeks prior was on Rosh Hashanah and he sought out and uh, won a specific, uh, from a particular rabbi gave him permission to uh, play on Rosh Hashanah saying that it was um, legitimate, which you have greater expertise on than I do. But I found that interesting that um, I think perhaps because of the stakes and the time period, it was less discussed, but uh, he, he certainly also sat out a, you know, at least a significant championship game because of, um, you know, he put Judaism first, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, they were they were separated in that by about what ten or twenty years or so. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it is is I think Hank uh, at least that had to be about ten or twelve years between those those events. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said. Look, I, I think also, although Hank Greenberg had some great postseason success, he didn't have. Uh, he was never a, a World Series MVP. And um, Koufax was what a World Series MVP twice. I think an MVP once, I believe, for World Series MVP. That is for World Series MVP. Yeah. So um, uh, you know, Sandy Koufax has has that going for him. And of course, I think some ha has, you have to say something to the to, to the point that Hank Greenberg spent almost his entire career, except for I think his last season in Detroit. And Sandy Koufax played for the Dodgers. So you have, you know, completely different environments. I mean, when you're playing for the Dodgers, you were playing in, in obviously New York and Brooklyn, and you were playing in uh, Los Angeles, the, the two largest metropolitan areas in the country with the two largest media presences in the country. And um, as we even know from today, players value being in a, in a New York or in a Los Angeles over being in a Detroit because of the opportunity to have media exposure and whatnot. So there probably had something to do with the fact that even though it wasn't quite as exacerbated at that time, probably still was a, a reason that Sandy Koufax became, you know, such an icon and playing, you know, as he did for 
uh, two cities that had massive, massive Jewish populations, although Detroit certainly had a strong one as well. But um, I would agree with you that most people would probably give the nod to, uh, to Sandy Koufax. It's incredibly close. The statistics are shockingly close. Um, and even though you can't exactly even match a pitcher's war against a hitter's war, even though the wars for pitchers is adjusted for that, uh, certainly Hank Greenberg gets the nod in the war department. But look, an interesting conversation to be sure. Um, we'll be able to debate this uh, for quite a while. It doesn't seem that we're in danger of having any Jewish baseball player come along who's going to match either Hank Greenberg or Sandy Koufax for the title of best Jewish baseball player in history. So we can continue to debate that. And probably as things go further, people will remember less and less the story of, uh, of, of Hank Greenberg and Sandy Koufax. Although thankfully Sandy Koufax is still with us and um, is still seen at Dodgers games from time to time, uh, which is a wonderful thing. And he looks fabulous and we wish him a lot of long life. Well, listen, Harry, it's been great chatting with you. It's been wonderful to, uh, get your take on this and uh, maybe you'll come back for future episodes of radio free rabbi. In the meantime, uh, this is Josh Aronson. I am checking out. Thanks to Harry Aronson, my guest from back East in Baltimore where he's hibernating. And uh, we hope that everybody out there continues to stay safe and join us for the next episode, the next broadcast of radio free rabbi. Thank you. This has been Radio Free Rabbi with Rabbi Joshua Aronson of Temple Judea in Tarzana, California. Produced and edited by Dan Leonard.